Glad you guys are here today. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Now, we're in the middle of a series called Relatable. Relatable. And in this series, we are asking some really big questions. Like, what does it look like? What does it look like to develop meaningful, full, and significant relationships in our lives? Right? What does, what does it mean to be relatable, to have these types of relationships in our lives? You know, that's, that's really what we've been talking about. And it's not just marriage relationships. I think that's where we tr- tend to default when we come to this idea of relationships. We go, oh, marriage, that's what he's talking about. The, and these things that we've been talking about, they certainly apply in marriage. In fact, I would say that they're probably the nth degree of what you need to do inside of marriage. But these apply to all kinds of relationships. They apply to what it looks like to be a good employee, a good boss, a good um, sibling, a good son or a good daughter, They're a good neighbor. It's all of those things. Any of our relationships would exemplify these sorts of characteristics. Now, over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about a couple of different things. Um, in uh, one of the weeks, we tackled this huge topic of hate. Now, you may, you may go, I don't remember really talking about hate, but anger, anger, when it causes you to sin, leads us towards hate, right? That's really just, that's what it is. When anger is sin, then it really is hate, and that drives an ugly fence between us and other people. And then we talked about honor, right? Last week, Mother's Day, and uh, we tackled this idea of honor. And I have to tell you a story from my own house. When I was here, I presented this idea. I said, you know, um, it would be good. It would be better in our, in our marriage relationships if instead of like keeping tally of who did right and who did wrong is if we kept tally or a competition of honor. Who could outdo the other person with more honor? And so on Monday, I came home and my wife had cleaned out an entire section of our master bedroom. On Tuesday, She was steam mopping in the kitchen. And by Wednesday, I was so far behind in honor points, I had to like take my wife, sit her down, have a snack with her, and send my kid out to her car to go clean her car so I could try to catch up. (laughs) Hey, don't judge me, all right? Don't judge me. But my wife really loved this idea of trying to outdo each other with honor points. And I'm really glad that there, she missed the caveat that it resets every single week, right? So I have a brand new week that I can try to win because I lost last week on trying to outdo her with, with honor. Well, this week we're going to be talking about another H word, right? And this H word, it's not only something that should be a part of our relationships, but really This is something that should be distinctive about us as people who follow Jesus, right? This should be something that others look at and they go, I know that you are a Jesus follower because you have this. Now, it's not something that just Jesus followers can do, and it's not something that just Jesus followers want in a relationship. It's something that everybody wants in relationships. So if you've got it, let's see if you can figure out what this H word is as we read through the passage together, starting in verse 25. It says, Therefore, 
having put away all falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anybody that's in need. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this teaching that we have today. This passage where Paul has been throwing at us fastball after fastball of what it looks like to have relationships. God, the kind of relationships that are um, grounded and based in and um, exemplified by a relationship that we have with you. God, I pray more than anything that you would open up our eyes as we are, are searching the scriptures today. God, that you would open up our ears, that you would make soft our hearts. And God, more than anything, that we would accept the challenge of applying these truths into our lives and living it out. We give you all of the glory and the honor, and it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. While I was in college, all right, I was dating my soon-to-be wife, Stephanie, and uh, as part of my college course curriculum, I had to take a class on marriage, right? It was marriage counseling, and it was about um, marriage application and things to do to have a healthy marriage and how to encourage somebody else about having a healthy marriage. And so um, now you can probably imagine if you're dating somebody while taking a marriage class, you're pretty well set about where it is that you're headed. Now, some guys would use the word doomed, but I'm just going to tell you that we were set about where it was that we were headed. Now, as part of the class, we had to do a, a report and a seminar. In my um, group that I was in, we chose a book called His Needs, Her Needs. Now, if you've never read the book, His Needs, Her Needs, let me just encourage you right now. I still encourage couples to go grab this book because it's an incredible resource that helps us to understand what it is that a, a, a wife needs inside of a relationship and what it is that a husband needs inside of a relationship and they do a great job on that and as a part of this book we each of us in the group had to present some different chapters and by luck of the draw I got a chapter that was all about her needs and the chapter was on openness and honesty openness and honesty and so for 30 minutes, I began to have a presentation about what it looked like to have openness and honesty in your relationship with your spouse. And after I got done with that, because of course, my um, then girlfriend was sitting in the room in support of everything, and she looked at me with these wonderfully blue eyes of love and said, you finally get me. She said, you know what I need. I need openness and honesty. And she hasn't let me forget it since. You know, I love how the book describes this idea of openness and honesty. And he says it like, the author says it like this. He says, openness and honesty is a truthful and frank expression of both positive and negative feelings of events. Events that are of the past, things that are daily events, 
and even, and I think this is the one that my wife highlights all the time, schedule. She wants to know what I think about something. And plans for the future, not leaving a false impression. Now this idea was not original to to Willard Harley, the guy who wrote the book. In fact, Paul right here says, he says, look, to make relationships work, you have to have honesty. You have to have honesty. In fact, three times it shows up in this passage, right? He says, put away all falsehood. He says, speak the truth to your neighbor. And he says, work honestly. Three times he highlights what it looks like to be honest in our relationships. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. It said, my relatability, in other words, my ability to relate to other people is directly influenced by my ability to trust and be trustworthy. To trust and be trustworthy. These two things set the foundation of all of our relationships. Someone once said it this way. Trust creates the relational load limits in a relationship. Recently, I have to haul a gigantic 16-foot trailer that contains everything that you see in this room. This church all fits into a 16 by 8 foot by 8 foot box. You didn't know that we did church in a box, but we do. (laughs) And we went recently and we weighed that thing and found out that it weighs just under 8,000 pounds, the trailer does. I never realized that when you cross bridges, they have posted weight limits on the bridges. Never before have I had to be concerned about whether or not what I was hauling was going to cross over that threshold and cause a bridge to crater. Trust is the, it creates the relational load. The greater the trust that we have in somebody else, the greater the trust that they have in us, then the greater the stress that the relationship can handle. But when deceit and falsehood begin to characterize us, then our relationships cannot handle any sort of stress tests. Reggie Joyner, who wrote uh, an entire curriculum called Orange, said it this way. He said, trust is the currency and the key in our relationship that unlocks others' gifts. He said, it's the thing that unlocks others' gifts, talents, and abilities. And if I'm not seeing others' gifts, talents, and abilities, then I'm probably poor in trust. Paul says to put away falsehood, to strip away the things that you use to make yourself look and appear better. He says, speak truth to your neighbors and to work honestly. 
But you know, I think that there's a couple of things that make it difficult for us to trust. I think there's a couple of things that make it hard for us to be honest with others. The first one is who I am. And the second one is what I see. You see, I think there's not anybody that's sitting out here that would raise their hand if we asked who's a good person in here. Almost all of us in this room understand that we are not good people. We know who it is that we are. In fact, I would say, as ugly as this is about to sound, I would say that the church may be one of the most fake places that we encounter all week long. Let that sink in for just a second. So many of us, we get our families into the car, right? And all of a sudden, it's that moment when both kids decide to pick on each other in the car. And they decide to whine about whatever they can possibly come up with to whine about. We're headed to church. For Christ's sake, we're headed to church. Right? Now listen, thankfully for most of you in this room, we're close. I don't mean that we're close to perfect by any stretch of imagination. I just mean that we are close to you, so there is not a lot of time, right, for that whining to ensue in the car. But it's amazing what can happen in four minutes. And before you know it, you're snappy at your, your spouse that's there with you about whatever's going on because they were late getting out to the car because they didn't get whatever and they haven't gotten their makeup on and I don't know whatever else is going on, but it happens and it all seems to happen in that moment. And then we walk through the doors of the church. In fact, we get out of the parking lot and we shut the door and it's like when we shut the car door, something clicks on us, right? Maybe it's when we hit the lock button on the car. I'm not really sure where it is. But all of a sudden, click, click, beep, beep. <laughs> Welcome to church. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Well, we're so glad to have you. It's a great day in the Lord, isn't it? Absolutely it is. I'm so glad you're taking my rug rat from me now. Do I have to sit next to my wife inside of the service? No, you don't, by the way. We lie. We put on a fake face. And when somebody asks us how things are going, we respond with, fine. Everything's fine. Actually, the, the new answer today is, I'm just busy. Heard anybody say that recently, right? How things going? And I'm just busy. Just busy. I'm here. I'm here. I'm doing what I can do. Facing the day. Just doing my best. And you know why we say those things? We say busy today because we know fine is not an honest answer. But busy sounds a little bit closer. But it's not. We're still not being honest with other people about what's going on in our world. About what's going on in our hearts. About what we're struggling with. We convince ourselves that that's a better answer. It's better to tell them those sorts of things. So there's a first thing about who I am that makes it hard 
for me to trust and to be trustworthy. But the second thing is what I see. You see, if, if I see somebody acting in an untrustworthy manner, I'm not going to trust them. This is deep right here, all right? If I see somebody acting in an untrustworthy manner, I'm not going to trust them. Better yet, let me say it this way. If I experience someone or something that is untrustworthy, in other words, they are not worthy of my trust, then I don't trust them. Write this down. There is often, in fact, you could almost say always, a gap between what I expect and what I experience. There is often a gap between what I expect and what I experience. And the question in every relationship becomes this. How do I fill the gap? How do I fill the gap between what I expected and what I experienced? And there's really just two things that fill that gap. The first one is trust, and the second one is suspicion. Suspicion is the fruit that poisons all relationships. We've all been there, right? You walk into a room, everybody's over in a corner, they glance over, and then they all laugh. What's the first thing that you think? Oh, they're talking about me, right? Suspicion fills the, the cracks that are there. You know, perhaps the greatest relationship blunder in all of the Bible, right? It happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. And Eve was standing in front of the tree that Adam had shared with her, hey, we're not supposed to eat from this tree. God told us that, and this is what we're not supposed to do. And if we do, we will surely die. And Eve is standing there in front of the tree, and the serpent, the serpent begins to ask her some questions. And he begins to create the gap between the expectation and the experience. And he says, did God really say that? And he begins to create some suspicion inside of Eve between her relationship with God. And ultimately, ultimately, she believes that suspicion and believes that God is holding out on her and she reaches out and she takes the fruit and it poisoned her relationship and it poisoned Adam's relationship. Suspicion always poisons the relationship. Now some of you in this room, in fact, I would say most of us, our default position in life is set to suspicion. When there's a gap between our expectations and our experience, we immediately become suspicious. 
Maybe it's because of our past history. Maybe it's just because of the way that we are wired. You know, this, this past week, I, I, I read on the Nextdoor app. I don't know if any of you love to read that. It's like National Enquirer for um, Australia, right? Um, it has everything that you could ever want on there. And so this week I was reading on there, and somebody had a bad experience at one of our local restaurants. And they decided to share that on the Nextdoor app. And I, I really think that they, they did it because they were suspicious that others had had the same sort of an experience. And they were looking for some more people to well up inside of that suspicion and an outcry against what it is that they had experienced. Unfortunately, in this particular case, nobody else jumped on the bandwagon. But their suspicion very quickly could have spread. And suspicion spreads like this. You know what I heard? You know, their son told me. You know, our last restaurant that was over here, they used to. And suspicion can creep in. And when suspicion creeps in, it robs us of all of the relational currency. And most of the time, we don't even realize it. But Paul says, he says, put away all falsehood. He says, don't fill your life with any of the things which are not true. Now, I love how the Amplified Bible, it puts in parentheses right here some things, and I want to just read it to you. It says, therefore, rejecting all falsehood, and here's their, per, the parentheses of the guys who were translating. They said, whether lying, defrauding, telling half-truth, spreading rumors, any such things as these. You see, that's what it means to reject falsehood, is to reject all of those things. This is what it looks like to have honesty and openness and trust and trustworthiness in our life, is to reject all of that falsehood. It's rejecting the nature of suspicion that comes so easily to us and so freely. But suspicion keeps us from trust, and it keeps us from being relatable, and it keeps us from developing significant relationships in our lives. But Paul wasn't done there. Paul drops one more bomb regarding trust and honesty in this passage because he says, speak the truth to your neighbor. Speak the truth to those who are around you and are engaged and involved in your life. And in case we miss what the truth should look like, in verse 15, just a few verses earlier, Paul says that we should speak the truth in love. I want to point out just a, a few quick things about this section. You see, the goal of any relationship is always to communicate. Now we say that, and lots of us think that we communicate. 
The truth is most of us are, and me included, are terrible communicators. But communication is the place that we can develop these deep, significant, and full relationships. Communication is the place that we can be known and know somebody else. But there's a spectrum of communication about how it happens. And over on this this side over here, on the right side of communication, is the word commands. And let's just be honest, this is the way that most guys communicate. We communicate in a command structure. I'm going to go do this. It's a command, it's an imperative, it's a directive about what's going to happen. Go do this. This is how we talk. We're very straightforward about stuff. And we think that that's communication. It's not. It's commands. But on the other side of the spectrum is conversation. Now, I could pick on the ladies for a second, but I'm going to stay on the guys. Because we skip over communication and we hit conversation and we go with things like, how's the weather? How'd your sports team do the other night? Man, did you guys see that Stephen Curry lit it up last night? I can talk sports all day long. I love it. Why? It's not communication. It's not the hard work of communication. It's conversation. And we tend to swing to these two extremes in order to avoid communication because communication is where openness and honesty has to exist. You know what's even worse is is that we watch, and it usually tends to happen more over here on this conversating side than it does over in the commandment side. But I watch as people conversate, and there is this, there's this tendency towards exaggeration. There's this tendency towards trying to make somebody believe that they know about whatever the topics are that are being conversated about. And an overbloating of whatever their opinions and information might be that they might know on something. You know, exaggeration is really just a... Um, A nice way of saying we're lying. Billy Graham once said it this way. He said, nothing weakens the truth more than stretching it. Nothing weakens the truth more than stretching it. So what do we do? What do we do with all of this information about truth and honesty? How do we make better relationships how do we become more relatable well i think paul was encouraging those who would read this letter to make a culture of trust and trustworthiness around them and i think that there are three things that we could do with regards to developing a culture of honesty around us actually to be honest I stole these from Andy Stanley. If I'm going to be honest about something, I should be honest about where it came from. So he gave three reasons or three things that we can do to develop a culture of honesty around us. Number one, we can commit to do what we say we will do when we say we will do it. And if we miss, we should be the first one to tell somebody about it. Number two, We commit to come to the defense 
of those we have a relationship with stopping suspicion and confronting the gaps. And number three, we commit to not overreact when someone points out the gap in whatever I am filling it with. What would it look like in your life? How would it impact the relationships around you if you were known for these three things? What would it look like if when somebody talked about trust and trustworthiness, they stuck your name right next to those two words? You know who I trust and who's trustworthy? Put your name right there. What would it look like if instead of being poor in trust and not seeing other people's gifts, talents, and abilities unleashed around us, instead we were rich in trust? Those are big questions. And my prayer today is that you'll tackle them this week. You'll go home and go, God, what would it look like for me to be this kind of honest and this kind of trustworthy in my relationships around me? What would it look like in my marriage if I did what I said I was going to do when I said I was going to do it? And I came to her defense or his defense any time that suspicion was beginning to upwell, whether it was from somebody else or from myself. Or if when my spouse pointed out the gap between experience and expectations, how do I react? Let's pray. God, these are big truths. No pun intended. But I think that you desire from us to be truthful. God, your word tells us that you are truth. And there's no even shadow inside of you. God, those of us that have accepted the call of following you, following Jesus, that's the standard we have to strive towards. Listen, I know people let us down. People fail to meet our expectations and our experience, there's always, almost always a gap. But Jesus doesn't fail. Some of you that are sitting in this room, if you were honest, you'd say, you know what? I've never placed my trust in Jesus. I've never acknowledged him as being the one who is trustworthy 
of my life. And it's real hard to begin to trust others without a trusting relationship with Jesus. And he says, look, if you trust me with your life, if you trust that I am who I said I am, if you trust that I did what I said I did, I have something amazing for you. And it's not only an abundant life here, now, a life of freedom and love and trust with others, but it's a life that continues on forever. Some of you, if you were honest with yourself right now, you'd say, I've never done that. I've never trusted Jesus like that. At the end of the service, I'm going to be at the back behind the curtains. I'd love to talk with you. If you're like, you know what? I would like to do that. I want to trust Jesus today. Come tell me. And I'd love to help you to make that step about trusting Jesus with your life. Father, I thank you again for today, for the worship, for the building of relationships that you're doing right here. God, continue to challenge us and to help us to be more like you. In your name we pray.